electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, worry versus momentum, and whether the strong year for stocks is enough to overcome a growing list of concerns. We'll debate that, the state of your money, with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, John Ajarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Nice to see everybody today. We begin with a look at stocks, trying to break that three-day losing streak. Got out of the gates pretty nicely, gave a lot of it back. Dow still holding on to a modest gain of about 35 points. S&P's a fractional winner today. NASDAQ's higher a little bit as well as is the Russell 2000. All right, so we had this big airline worry today. Doc, many cutting their forecast. United, Southwest, American, JetBlue. We're like, okay, these reopening plays are in trouble. Then you look at the screen now, and all those stocks are up, and nicely so. And I wonder if that's the biggest tell of the day and what that message of the market, so to speak, is to you about how we should view these stocks, whether, okay, so they cut their forecast. We're going to get past Delta. Maybe that's the worst of it. And now we can buy these stocks. Um, yes and no, Scott. Uh, as far as uh, uh, I'll say business travelers versus recreational travelers or just regular Joes and Janes, um, business travelers are the lifeblood of all of those big three airlines um, and a host of others. Uh, but a lot of those business travelers have curtailed their travel dramatically. And so as far as the reopening plays, Scott, if we're talking about things like theme parks, again, recreational travel or experiential like Vegas, yeah, all, all those things, I'm right with you. Those will continue to uh, expand and we'll see, you know, not just 35 and 45 percent gains in those sectors that I just talked about, but much more as the reopening continues. But the business traveler, Scott, the folks that are price insensitive, uh, that's the one uh, sector that I really worry about right now because I think businesses, uh, we all want to get back out face to face with people, but businesses have learned they don't have to spend nearly as aggressively right. as they used to spend on that business travel. So for that reason, I am a little, you know, uh, I have a lot of trepidation about all of these stocks uh, I hear you. in the airline space, not those others. I know you have puts in the Jets ETF, so I, I get it. To me, frankly, Josh, this, this is not a airline trade story. This is a bigger issue about where we are with reopened stocks. The fact that these things were down, they're all up. Some of the strongest stocks in the market today are the airlines themselves. And at some point, do you get to a point where you say, all right, we get it. We know things have been sluggish over the past few months. The jobs report was not good. Growth has been a little bit less than people expected because of the Delta variant. But you're going to get past that. At some point, you look at the live nations of the world, which I looked earlier today was down too. And now it's positive. 
and that's one of your names, or the Expedia's of the world, or the casinos, or the hotels, and say, okay, maybe there's going to be a turning point soon for these stocks because you've got to buy them at some point. Uh, yeah, I, Scott, I think a lot of what you're saying is right. I, I would just point out, like, are we saying that people in, in Delta stock right now aren't aware that there was a surge in coronavirus cases? Like, are, are we saying that's new information to the market? I'm not in these airline stocks, but I would argue, actually, the risk reward here is pretty darn good. Anyone that's a shareholder in any of the major airlines is well aware that we had a viral surge over the summer and that there was a hit to bookings. Like Nobody's like clutching their pearls because all of a sudden some of the leisure travel slowed down. Equally, nobody that's in these stocks doesn't understand that it's going to be a long time before business travel comes back. So I don't think any of that is like meaningful on a go-forward basis for these stocks. Here's what is. If we don't have as bad a winter as we had last year and vaccination rates continue to climb, which they are, uh, and we don't have the shutdowns and all of these things that are in our worst nightmares to see recur, these stocks are going up, not down. And if business travel could surprise in any direction, it ain't going to be to the downside. It can only surprise to the upside. Nobody is expecting a resurgence in business travel, in conferences, mm -hmm. in, in, in meetings. So there's only one direction to be surprised in. in so... You look at Delta at 41. I'm not saying it looks great Completely technically. Disagree. But it might, it might have – you think there's going to be a negative downside surprise to business travel? Who is optimistic about business Absolutely. travel? Absolutely. Are you? Uh, you are? Uh, well, Josh, uh, we've already you just seen said you business travel start – I said we've started to see business travel pick up. Um, and if you ask people where it is quarter over quarter, year over year – Virtually every big firm that we're talking to is saying down. It is going down. They are not going to be doing as we much know. in the face-to-face. -face. That's my point. That's the price. It that's my point. Well, but no. That, but we know it's that's down. That's the profit margin. That's the profit margin on these businesses, John, though, Josh. John, we if know this, though. you don't have those business I agree with you. travelers. Mm -hmm. Well, but then why would you, you buy those well, airlines? That's in these stocks. But that's in these stocks. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. So the question is, Scott, in which I... direction could the market be shocked? Only up. Yeah, nope. why? So, so here's what nope. I'd say, Scott, if I, if I can jump in. I, I don't think, you know, look, in the best of times, airlines are trades. They're not investments. In the best of times, when they were charging for luggage, and we still see those charges. When they were charging for changes, and we still see those coming back. But here's the story. The stories are the balance sheets are completely upside down. So there's we no return it, to capital. Here's, the, here's no my share point. Buyback story it's why, this is but, not, I'm right. not trying to approach this as a let's trade the airline stock story. Right. Okay. I think it's a bigger issue mm -hmm. about the fact that money has come out of reopened trades. It's gone into tech and it's stayed with the fangs. But look at the action in the airline stocks today. I'm wondering if it's representative of a way to look at the reopen more optimistically and say, right. okay, the worst is out there now. So it's okay to take a look at some of these stocks, whether it's the airlines or the casinos or the hotels, which I'm looking at the performance over the last three months since, mm -hmm. you know, we really started getting Delta in every single headline. 
Sands is down 20%. Wind Resorts is down 17. Hyatt's down 10 and a half. Expedia is down 14. That's my point. I don't care about trading the airlines. I want to know if these types right. of stocks okay. are the ones that you should be putting your money into now because they did, in effect, kitchen sink it and say, okay, it's it. We know it's bad. It's bad, but it's going to get better. So that's what I'm saying. Well, well let me answer that. And, and, I, and I, I agree with you. That's the way to look at it rather than focusing on an isolated sector like airlines. And my, my response to you is that, yeah, I think the worst is probably assumed in for now. But we're going to, we've got this, this MU, this move variant, which is in 49 states, which is more resistant to vaccines. So that's an unknown. Delta is cutting back. So I think people assume that the, mar- that the world's adjusted and the U.S. has adjusted Delta. I would tell you that's not the case. It's coming back. So I think it's premature, number one. Number two, even if it's not premature, it's not like these stocks are trading on the bottom. They've anticipated that the, that the world's going to come back to normal. And they've moved up on that, but yet you've got different factors here, as I mentioned the balance sheet. The bottom line is, I believe you can make more money elsewhere, because to me, best case for these stocks is flat to up 5 or 10 percent. And well, I just think it's a waste of cash the, the point, to put it there. The point is that the, the recovery, in some respects, may be delayed. It's not over. It's not over. The story hasn't completely turned. It's just been pushed out a little bit more. And oh, by the way... Um, I know COVID is on everybody's mind. The Delta variant certainly is as schools get back in business up in the Northeast, especially and elsewhere around the country. It's not the only thing to worry about. I mean, Kramer's out with his list of things to worry about. And COVID's not necessarily on the list, though it's an obvious worry. You've got the pre-announcements you got to worry about as it relates to the Delta variant. The Fed, oh yeah, the Fed, higher interest rates. Congress, always a mess. Fresh supply of stocks coming onto the market. You've got geopolitical concerns. Bryn, I find most interesting perhaps the commentary from you today, where you say you're the most diversified that you've ever been. Yeah, I think that anyone that looks back in history to try to say, talk about the Fed, to say, oh, well, what happened in 2013 with the taper could be a, something that's similar that happens today. I mean, we are in uncharted waters, okay? We've never all gone through this collective pandemic globally. We've never had the Fed be so accommodative while asset prices and just assets across the board have recovered so strong. And so I think that when we run our portfolios and my portfolio as well, I love the Qs. I own ARC. I own, you know, Jeppy, which is a covered call, but I also own a small cap value focus and I own MTUM, which owns things like Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan, because I don't know what the future holds. And, you know, my biggest concern, I saw, you know, Kramer's six, you know, six things to be concerned about. I do think that the big risk in the market longer term is a policy misstep, because we all know that, you know, we have real inflation in beef. We have inflation in poultry and, and, and pork and houses, but none of that gets picked up in the CPI and the PCE. And if the Fed's just going to continue to wait till the unemployment gets back to that level, while we have five jobs available for every four, I mean, we're in this like unchartered kind of banana land here that I don't know how that's going to play out. So I want to be really diversified. I love what I own, but I'm definitely not going to make any big bets on what's going to happen over the next year because I think it's very unknown. And I think there's a lot of uncertainties, mainly caused by the pandemic and then the Fed. Well, that, look, the, the negativity is certainly building so you can understand 
why people are getting a little bit cautious or, or nervous. I've got, I mean, what is it, this week alone? What are we, Thursday? Uh, Goldman cuts the growth forecast this week. Morgan Stanley downgrades U.S. equities to underweight. Deutsche Bank says expect a significant pullback. Somebody grab their phone before uh, the rally comes back. Bank of America's Savita Sobermanian says it might not end now, the rally, but it could end badly uh, eventually. So, okay, I'll ask you this, Josh. Is it time to get negative or is it time to say this too shall pass? I think it's time to say I hope they, they take them down because market is plus 18% year to date. Uh, and, and I probably don't have as much stock as I want to if this rally is going to continue. It's the only rational mindset unless tomorrow is the day that you're cashing out your portfolio. So I, I really don't see a problem with us having some sort of September or October tremors. Like, that happens all the time. I'm rooting for it. It's a better opportunity to buy than higher prices. And nobody should be shocked by that outcome. On average, we're, we're, we're off 10% from highs every 18 months or so. So, like, nobody should fall out of their chair if and when that happens. The thing that causes it, or whatever cause we assign to it after the fact, will probably be something scary, something like the Fed made a mistake or the move variant or whatever you want to say. Um, but it's, it's those times that we say this too shall pass. So I, I think there's always risk every day we wake up. Um, I know that might not be the most satisfying answer, but strategists have been, been putting out notes about the potential for a correction every month of every year of mm -hmm. every decade forever. More recently, And too. that should not dissuade people from, from being invested. Doc, I mean, part of, the, part of the issue, too, that we raised at the very top of the show with the question we asked uh, is momentum mm -hmm. enough to overcome all of these issues. And you've had a strong year for well, stocks. It's rare to have, you know, strength throughout three quarters of the year. And then all of a sudden it falls apart at, at the end without some existential thing that happens that no one no one saw coming. I mean, we kind of all know where we're at right right now. Right. What, what are the chances of that? Is that in and, in and of itself enough, the momentum to overcome seasonality and the Fed and Delta and all this other stuff that we're seemingly worried about day by day? Um, it, it is, Scott. But, and that's the big part here, um, that the momentum isn't just all on one side. It's not just all bullish. I mean, Ellen Zentner cut her outlook for GDP from 65 to 2.9. Um, that is a dramatic drop. And she's not the only one out there doing that, Scott. So if you've got GDP forecasts being cut fairly dramatically like that, um, those are the things that I worry about. Now, we had a good, a very good, uh, report this morning. I think it was 310,000, which is the lowest since last March of last year, 2020, as far as uh, uh, the filings and so forth today. That's good. And we need a good jobs report. Um, hopefully the September jobs report that we'll get that first week in October will be that, Scott. We basically got what you and I spoke of yesterday as far as the ECB, more or less standing pat. They did say that they are uh, ready to start cutting back on the PEP, um, which is their pandemic uh, uh, relief plan, if you will. Uh, but they haven't said that they are doing it. So basically, they're in the same spot they were. They didn't really goose the market or cause it to dot drop. 
because of that statement. So I think we do have mixed momentum, though, not solid, just straight line up momentum right now. Yeah. You know, Weiss, I know you think it's a, a bit of a, a confusing market we're in and I sort of raised this issue yesterday. If you look at where the money has been going, it's been going to some more defensive type plays in the market. And oh, by the way, I mean, you can lump Fang in there. I mean, Fang is viewed by many as a defensive place to put money, health care or, or other things of, of that nature. So why make it more difficult upon yourself to start trying to pick and choose the cyclical stocks and reopen stocks and ones that may work because of a headline or a pre-announcement like Kramer talks about as one of his fears where you can just stay with what's worked. And that is mega cap tech. And the calls every day keep coming. Upgrades, reiterations, et cetera, et cetera. Positive vibes around that space. You know, I, Scott, I think you put it perfectly. And I think that is the right way to look at it. There's no room in my portfolio for speculative positions anymore. There's no room in my portfolio, and there really wasn't, for the uber-valued stocks, the ones at 50, 100 times revenues. Those are not the mar This is not the market for those. Now, if we do see a correction, they will suffer more than others. To me, the biggest risk in the market is inflation. That is number one. Take all the other stuff. Yeah, they're there all the time. Pre-announcements, every quarter it's a risk, but it's inflation. I see good news on inflation. I see bad news on inflation. I see a lot of commodities coming down. Uh, Bryn mentioned pork. Hog prices have come down, still up on the year, but come down quite a bit. So we're seeing it start to ebb and flow in terms of commodities. But in terms of wage inflation, that is here to stay, and that will eventually feed into the consumer. So markets do go up when rate tightening cycles occur. Seasonality, September is the worst month of the year. Guess what? It's down a half percent on average for whatever the last 50 years. I'm not concerned about that. So it is inflation. That's my concern. Why it's not the Fed. Why isn't the market? OK, misstep. that's fair. I mean, that, that's fair. Why isn't the market more concerned about inflation? Because I got the 10 year. I'm looking right now. It's you know, like I 131. Think, why, why are we more concerned? The market you know, doesn't I, seem to be concerned. The right. Nasdaq keeps hitting new highs. Uh, okay, maybe not today, but we've been right at new record highs. Market's not falling apart. Dow's at mm -hmm. 35,000. You know, I, I still think that the that the bond market's not an indication the underlying concerns in the market, number one. I'd say stock market's not falling apart. In lots of places. Okay, but it's not. But here's why. I think that if you still had Freeport trading at 4045, if you still had Cleveland Cliffs at 26 and Valet at 23, the market would be a lot more concerned. But it's taking those signals and said, you know what, it's going to be transitory. We believe what Powell is saying. That's why it's not that concerned. OK, I mean, I mentioned these calls on on, on mega cap tech. We do have some news from one of them, Facebook, Julia Borston, with that. We'll talk about it on the other side. But, Julia, what do you have for us? Well, today, Facebook is unveiling its smart glasses that have been in the works for two years since it partnered with eyewear giant Luxottica. I've gotten to try them out. They're called Ray-Ban Stories. And as you can see, they look just like Ray-Bans. They're just a hair heavier, and they go on sale today. Now, you can press here on the side, or you can use voice control to use them to take a photo or record up to 30 seconds of video. There's an LED that blinks and a sound to warn those around me that I am recording. Then you could download the content you've captured 
transferred to an app and then share it on Facebook or an Instagram or keep it on your phone. Now, here's the surprise of these glasses. There are speakers in the side and a microphone so you can connect them through Bluetooth to your phone and then listen to audio or make phone calls so they're effectively an alternative to headphones. Now, these glasses start at $299. That's $100 more than regular Ray-Bans, and they're available in 20 styles with the ability to add prescriptions or transitional lenses to them. So this is all designed to get people to share more on Facebook's platforms. But then, of course, there's a question of how do these compare to what else is out there? Snap, as you may remember, has its own smart glasses Spectacles. Now, those did not have audio capabilities, but the latest version of Spectacles for developers does have augmented reality capabilities. These from Facebook are right now for just capturing video and audio. They do not have anything AR about them just yet, guys. Julia, we thank you for that update there on Facebook. All right, Dr. J, I mean, it's one of your biggest positions, like first or second, I, I think. Uh, Target goes mm-hmm. to 300. Yep, number two. Target goes to, okay, number two. Tar- Target goes to 300 today. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's, re- it's reiterated sell at HSBC, they're looking for a 20% uh, downside. Some of that has mm-hmm. to do with antitrust expectations, although, I mean, frankly, any of those headlines over the years has done nothing really to the stock. What do you make, what do you make of this call? Well, exactly, Scott. Uh, you hit the nail on the head every single time, whether it's the European Union, whether it's California, independent of the other states going after Facebook. You look at those dips, they were muted. And then you look at the subsequent rallies, they were awesome. Um, so do I like what Facebook does as far as tracking us? No. But do I like it as an advertiser on their platforms? I love it. Because just as Kevin O'Leary would say, they can geolocate you, get those messages to you. They know where you're at. The more people are using WhatsApp, Instagram, as well as Facebook, the better they can basically track everything that you're doing. And advertisers want that. So do I like it? No. Uh, But do I want to make money? Yes. And so that's why it's my second largest position. I think what I'm trying to get at as well is like, Look, Josh, if, if you say, OK, I'm not in Live Nation today, but I've heard Josh Brown talk about it a lot. And I know how bullish that he's been. Um, I'm not in Microsoft today, but man, I hear Pete and the whole gang seems to own Microsoft. And I'm not in either one of those stocks. And I'm wondering about Delta. And I see all the stories about pre-announcements. And I'm wondering where the recovery's going and I see the fact that these mega cap tech stocks are, are holding up. Do I put my money today if I want to buy one of those stocks in the live nation or do I just play it what is deemed to be safe and put it in a Microsoft, for example? Can you, can you feel me on that? Yeah, I mean, Microsoft is only safe if you're investing in the rearview mirror. You can't have the gains that have already been accrued. So uh, it's, it's the perception of safety because it's just worked out. Like this is the trick that all of our brains play on us. It's, it's, it's hard to, to avoid it, right? So we have to logically talk our way out of, wait a minute, this isn't safe just because it has been safe. But to answer your question more directly, the, the average viewer of this TV show right now, like the regular investor has a huge advantage over the professional investor. I know Weiss is probably rolling his eyes, but let me finish the statement. Professionals have massive advantages over average investors in almost every way. 
information asymmetry, connections, people to talk to, the early calls on things. But in this particular way, you're better off being an individual. Nobody's paying attention. So if you buy Target or Costco or Live Nation or Home Depot today and it's 10% lower next week, nobody cares. No one's judging you. You don't have to explain yourself in a meeting. You don't have to write a dear shareholder letter. You don't have to worry about that. You can own some now. You can add when it falls. You can add even more when it falls lower. If you're an investor, if you're a trader, you can set your stop. You could say, on this particular purchase, I'm willing to risk 8% to make 20%. You can do that, and then you don't have to answer for, to anybody about it. That's a huge advantage, believe me. I'm a pro. Everybody on the show has to answer to hundreds or thousands of people. So take advantage of that and, and utilize that as the strength that it is. Don't worry about perfection. Don't worry about nailing the bottom, nailing the top. You're never going to do it. Right. I can't do it. You can't do it. Let me do this. But before we take a break, hey. let, let me get to one new move in the market. Weiss, don't. Don't go there, okay? I, I want you to stay, focus. Stay, I see I'm it. holding back. I you have it. no idea. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I do okay. know because I can hear it. Like, just, I, I, I will hold back. I will hold back. I see this new position you have. Put it on Twitter. Yeah, he probably will. Uh, a new position in Penn. P-E-N-N. Tell me about that before I go to break. Sure. So, look, we're coming into football season. Gaming has betting, which I look at as gaming, has picked up dramatically. And all these statistics I read, it's continuing to grow at exponential rates. Why I pick Penn as opposed to DraftKings, number one, is that they make money. I love companies that make money, hate companies that lose money. Number two, they've got this guy, this dude, Dave Portnoy, is one of the best marketers I've ever seen. Number three, it gives me an option on physical facilities because they own casinos. So when the market does reopen, when I say the economy and people start going back, then that'll hypercharge the results in this company. So I like what they did at Barstool Sports. I think there's huge upside here and much more so than DraftKings. So that's why I bought it. All right. I appreciate that. Bryn has a, uh, a new buy as well, or at least adding to a position, which we're going to get to coming up. So hold on to that thought, by the way. Lululemon shares, they are soaring after earnings and a strong outlook. The investment committee will debate that trade coming up next. Plus, Steve Weiss mentioning football is back, and that means that Al Michaels, one of the most renowned sports broadcasters of all time, will join us as usual ahead of the NFL kickoff. We can't wait for that. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. Welcome back. I'm Rahul Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. For the first time since Allied troops withdrew from Afghanistan, a commercial passenger jet has taken off from Kabul. Some 200 foreigners, including Americans, were on board. The flight marks a significant breakthrough in the bumpy coordination between the U.S. and Afghanistan's new Taliban rulers. And on the news, what the flight says about negotiations with the Taliban and when more flights may happen. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Amazon says that it will now pay for its workers' college tuition, books, and fees. More than three-quarters of a million employees are eligible. 
Amazon is also adding education programs for data center management, IT, and user experience and research design. And Sotheby's has landed one of the largest art consignments in years. It will be auctioning the Maclow collection of modern and contemporary art. Sotheby's expects the works to bring in more than $600 million. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right, Bryn. I teased before the break that you have uh, an addition to a stock that you already held, and that is Coinbase. Why'd you add more? I've talked about the stock before. I own the stock. I'm a big fan of Brian Armstrong. I'm a big believer in the technology around cryptocurrencies. And obviously yesterday with the big you know, kerfuffle with the SEC and Coinbase wanting to offer a yield product, you know, the stock had sold off. It almost hit 280 um, last week. It came, about, came down to about 257. And I think what people need to understand is, you know, last quarter, Coinbase did about $2 billion in revenues and I think $1.6 billion in net income. They also have $4.4 billion in cash. And so if you look at their runway, this company is growing so fast. And so I think over the next year or so, you could see their net income for a year come in, you know, close to $8 billion. It's, the stock is at about a $50, $55 billion market cap. They also just entered, they got regulatory approval to go and offer Coinbase in Japan and Germany, which are really big crypto markets. And so I think very similar to when PayPal last year announced they were going to now offer cryptocurrency, just like Square, very accretive to their bottom line. I think it's early days for Coinbase. And so I just took the volatility yesterday to add to the position. All right. Good stuff. We appreciate you updating us on that. Now let's talk about, I think you could call it the stock of the day. It's Lululemon. It's soaring on its earnings beat. The company also raised its outlook. Dr. J, you own the stock. We talked about it going into the number yesterday. It's up, let's call it 12.5% right now. I'm paraphrasing Kramer, who said, basically, they're doing things now that you thought they'd be doing in 2023. That's what the CEO said, too, Scott. The CEO said, um, we will surpass the revenue that we were projecting in 2023 this year year. So that's exactly right. Jim, as usual, is pretty spot on. And the fact that they had 58% gross margin, Scott, I mean, how do you not love a business that has that, um, as well as uh, direct-to-consumer, uh, double what the street expected. It was up 8% year over year. There was not a single miss in this by Lululemon. And it has caused other areas of the market, for instance, Nike, to also uh, get some pretty significant lift. I bought some Nike 165 calls today mm. because uh, people Good. were jumping back in there saying, wow, maybe this thing trades up through tomorrow. If it does, I might roll out and uh, own it for another month or more, Scott. But yeah, this was a blowout quarter yeah. for Lululemon. And I know there's a happy Courtney Gibson down in Atlanta probably watching the show right now. Yes, there is. Uh, I know that to be true. Uh, Lululemon price target today raised to 500 at JP Morgan, 500 at Stiefel, 485 at uh, Telsey, 473 BTIG, 419 Morgan Stanley, 410 at Wells. Stock hit a new high today. Uh, yep, the high was 434.22. Steve Weiss, where'd you sell this one? I sold it, I think it was in the mid threes, around 360. Mm. So I missed out on it. Uh, However, Scott, to your point, which I'm sure you're going to make next, is that I bought Dick's about six weeks ago, and that's up close to 70 percent. 
So I've made more money in owning dicks for a shorter period of time than I would have owning Lulu for this whole period. Uh, I know you're going to get there. I, I was. I was. I also want. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I also want to get to um, Moderna, uh, which is having its investor day today. The stock's a nice winner. And uh, we've, we've said on many occasions, one of the best picks we've had on this program in an awfully long time. You want to uh, you want to talk about this today and this move now, Weiss, uh, six and a third percent? Yeah. Yep. So it's R&D day. And I think you're for a long time meant forever. Uh, look, they they increase their platform. You can't even take a compliment. Their, their, well, right. Can't even take a I thought I took it great. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they increased their pipeline of therapeutics and vaccines over the last year from 23 to 34. But let me give you an amazing statistic in terms of comparisons to Merck, which I heard in some of the shows earlier today. They were saying, wait, this is almost as big as Merck. How can that be? Here's why. Uh, in terms of revenue per employee, Moderna is 3.5 million per employee and Merck is 290,000 per employee. In terms of net income, Moderna, 2.2 million per employee. Merck, well, they're about 50,000 per employee. So usually more profitable, much more efficient allocator of capital than any pharma or biotech company. The future is really just starting here. You can't compare Moderna to Merck any more than you can compare Amazon to Macy's or Apple to Compact Computer. You get my message here. This is a technology platform that has tremendous innovation. And because of their technology, the time to market for their therapeutics and vaccines will be much quicker, ultimately. So, let, so let me, yeah, Moderna is still the cheapest stock I own. Let me ask. OK, so maybe that helps answer the, the next question. For, I'm trying to help our viewers as much as possible. Do you think about how long you're going to hold <laughs> this? I mean, is this a, I'm holding it for the forever foreseeable future? You take any profits? What, how do you think about that? So I have the core position I trade around. So, for example, I bought some more stock yesterday. I tweeted that if I were on the show, it'd be my final trade going to R&D day today. So it's a forever stock. I mean, this is truly disruptive. These companies come along like once in a lifetime or twice in a lifetime, as I mentioned, with Amazon and Apple. So, look, you can trade around it if you want, but you'll pay taxes it wouldn't surprise me to see the stock trade back into the 300s, maybe even the mid 300s. But that's the opportunity then to add a trading position to your core position. So, yes, I think that the future is very bright. All right. All right. Thank you for that. All right. We are counting down to the NFL kickoff tonight. Famed football announcer, sports legend Al Michaels. He joins us next on the half. Solar power could provide nearly half the nation's electricity by 2050, according to the Department of Energy. To reach that goal, the U.S. needs to increase its solar capacity by an average of about 11% per year for the next 30 years. The ramped-up demand could provide a boost for companies like Enphase, First Solar, Sunrun, and SunPower, all negative for the year. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. The NFL season kicks off tonight when MVP Tom Brady and the defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers host the Dallas Cowboys. And the man calling the action will be Emmy Award winner and Hall of Fame sports broadcaster Al Michaels, who joins us now from Tampa. It's good to see you again. Welcome back. Scott, you do know this is an annual visit. This is my favorite interview of the year. I love you guys. It's the greatest show on television. Love to be with you every year. It's so good to have you. Uh, I look forward to it. Always as well. And I know you're looking forward to the season. Fans are back. I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like for you. Energy in the building. You don't have to cre- try and create that all on your own. What are you looking forward to? Well, here in Tampa, of course, uh, it's, it's, they call it Champa Bay because the Lightning have won back-to-back Stanley Cups. And, of course, the Buccaneers did it. They bring everybody back this year. All of their starters return. The whole coaching staff returns. What can you say about Tom Brady? 44 years old, this guy must be eating enchanted rhubarbs or something because everybody expects him to have another great year, look great in practice the other day. So, again, it's five months between now and the Super Bowl on February 13th. A lot of stuff can happen, but the Buccaneers do have a pretty good opportunity to be the first team to repeat as champion since the 03-04 Patriots led by who else? Tom Brady. Yeah, um, they return everybody, so they're loaded. And we were just showing some pictures as you were talking, Al, of of Dak and and the Cowboys, who think they have a pretty good shot, too. And he looks pretty good. We talked to him last night. He didn't play at all during preseason because he had that shoulder strain. Comes off a broken ankle, hasn't played in 11 months, but sounded tremendously confident. He thinks that Zeke Elliott's in the best shape of his career, the running back. They've got great receivers. They're a little banged up on the offensive line. That could be problematic tonight. But the great thing about the Cowboys, as you know, you know, it's always about drama. Who are they? What are they? How about them Cowboys? We don't know. We'll find out tonight, though. I'm, I'm wondering if, if you have in your mind a, a surprise team or two that you're thinking about could make some noise this year. I know there's a lot of hype about the, the Chargers and their quarterback and obviously Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville is the can't-miss kid who's finally in the NFL. What, how do you feel about that? I think you're right about the Chargers. I think a lot of people are looking at that team because the way Justin Herbert played last year. I mean, he's really good. That team is good. Uh, they've got a brand-new coach. that's Brandon Staley who came over from the Rams. And speaking of other teams, a lot of people are picking the Rams to win the NFC. So do I see a Los Angeles, Los Angeles Super Bowl in Los Angeles? <laughs> I mean, the odds are, are pretty high on that. But I mean, those two teams uh, should be there at the end. That, that would be amazing. You know, it, I, I tweeted out earlier that you're going to be joining us and that you are also an honorary member of our investment committee. Um, you should be on yeah. a regular basis. You picked KKR a year ago. It's only up 82 percent since, Al. I don't want to brag, but, you know, <laughs> last year I was in Kansas City. You asked me for a, a prediction, which I don't normally do. I'm paralysis by analysis, but I happen to love that company. I think George Roberts is a fantastic a CEO, and they, I think it was $34 a share, and now it's 63 bucks a share. 
So once in a while, you know, I put on my Josh Brown hat, hat and I hit a home run. Well, speaking of, do you, um, you want to ask Josh anything about your portfolio at this point? He's here today. I, I love hey, Josh, Josh. Listen, I know you don't like the fact that I like the ETFs on steroids. We talked about that when I first met you in Minneapolis a couple of years ago. But you know yeah. what? Yeah, look, yeah. look at SSO. Look at the S&P they keep times working. two. I know, you know, you, you, it's supposed to be in and out in the afternoon. It's a day trading thing. I've had it for years. You know what? It's been pretty fantastic. So, Josh, I'm not going to change no. your mind. But, but I'm, I, I, yeah. need, I need your Al, you've been now. right. By the, yeah. yeah. Once in a while. <laughs> you've. You, you've, you've been absolutely right, and I have been wrong, um, but from a process standpoint, these do carry a lot more risk in a choppy market, a flat market, or a down market than a lot of investors are aware of. But I know you're more sophisticated than that, and you know how you're well, using Josh, them. One thing I would point but, out, though, if you look at SSO when the pandemic started, from February to April, the S&P fell about 30%, and this fell 55%. So... It works great on the way up. It works great on the way down. And as long as you understand what you're doing, it shouldn't matter what anyone else's opinion is. And by the way, Al, you've made a ton of money with this thing. So my, my hat is yeah. off to you. But but you're right, Josh, man. I, that was that was a frightening time between like February the 20th yes. and April. And I was thinking about, you know, getting a sleeping bag and, and checking out the, uh, out of the home and, and sleeping outside. Unfortunately, everything bounced back. Do, do you you want to see if lightning strikes twice out? Do, do you have uh, another most recent stock that you like or bought that you want to just you know, throw I, out there? You know, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, you know, the, the great stocks for me through the years, Home Depot has been fantastic. But I mean, I'm, I'm behind it now. I mean, all of the stocks that, you know, that I've been I've been lucky with are are way, way up. So, look, what I do is the investment committee comes on. You, you all put what your, your holdings are. I take a picture of it, and I look at it, and that's how I make my bets down the line. We appreciate having you as a viewer. We uh, wish you a great call tonight. Have a great season. Hope to see you at some point during the season. You be well. You guys are the best. Take care. All right. That's the great Al Michaels joining us today. You can watch all the action tonight. The season kicking off with defending Super Bowl champs Tampa Bay. They host the Dallas Cowboys. Coverage begins 7 p.m. Eastern on NBC. And there's more. The Los Angeles Rams play the Chicago Bears on Sunday night football. That wraps up the weekend action. That's going to be a great game, too. Catch both matchups on our sister network, NBC. And, of course, they're streaming on Peacock as well. Next on The Half, John's latest trades and unusual activity. We're back right after this. Starboard failing in its efforts to win a board seat. On box, Leslie Picker is following the money, as always. I guess all winning streaks are meant to come to an end at some point, Leslie. <laughs> they call it a reversion to the mean for a reason, Scott, I guess. But this is, as you mentioned, a rare defeat by the major activists. The last time Starboard lost a shareholder vote in a proxy contest was 2012 with AOL. Two sources close to the count said that Starboard received support from less than a quarter of the shares outstanding, including its own 8 point 
6.8% stake. I'm hearing that turnout was strong with upwards of 80% of shares voted in today's election. Two sources saying Starboard's Peter Feld received the most support on the dissident slate, uh, the three-person slate out of the 10-person board. Box's win means that founder and CEO Aaron Levy was re-elected to the board, solidifying his role. Starboard at one point during the fight was seeking to remove him or sell the company, proxy documents show. Instead, Box roped in KKR to participate in a financing, something Starboard attributes to its loss. In a statement, the firm says it's, quote, disappointed by the results of this election, which were heavily skewed by the voting rights tied to the preferred equity financing. In chatting with those close to this one, it appears that Starboard settlement last March with Box, where three new independent directors joined the board at the time, really diluted its argument in this most recent fight. Shares of the company had underperformed since its 2015 IPO, but this year amid the board refreshment and an improvement in fundamentals, Box shares beating the S&P 500, although declining pretty significantly on today's news, Scott. LP, thank you. That's Leslie Picker for us. Unusual Activity with the Dr. J is next. All right, Dr. J, what do you got for us? Uh, unusual Activity today. All right, snap, snap, quick, Scott. Uh, Cody, C-O-T-Y, November 8 calls with the stock at about $7.50. They bought 20,000 of those. Second one, Alternative Fuels. Um, G-E-V-O. This one, they also bought a big number, about 18,000 of the 750 calls. Uh, these are calls in September, though, Scott. Lastly, EA. Um, EA, we're seeing uh, with the stock at about $140, we see the September 24th expiration, 143 calls. Bought, bought, bought. Big numbers here as well. All three, I am in, Scott, and I'll be in them Till close to expiration. All right. Appreciate it, Doc. Thank you very much. We'll step away quickly, come back, and we'll do final trades next. Okay, final trades. Dr. J, I understand you just bought some calls in a stock that people might recognize the name from Josh Matterport. It, exactly. I know this is going to put a smile on Josh's face. Bought the 1750 calls, Scott. They're buying calls all the way out to 20 that expire next Friday. I'm in. All right. Interesting. Watch that stock uh, rise as we talk. Uh, Josh Brown, what do you got? Uh, Leslie's initiation of coverage today. They say the stock's worth 28. I think it's worth 28 and more. Nice to see. I'm long. All right. Pool supplies we're talking about there uh, as the summer wraps up. Bryn? Um, yeah, LIT, if you want to play the EV market, it is an ETF that focuses on the mining, refining, and the battery production around lithium. Okay. So it's a great way to play the growth in, L in, in EVs. Give me a name, Weiss, please. DKS, Dix, Attitude this morning. All right, good stuff, everybody. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.